What am I doing? Man, what, what are those girls over there thinking? Gosh, I mean, should I, should I walk over there? Uh, you know what? Maybe I'll just go talk to my friend Ben, see what his plan is. Well, he doesn't seem to have one. Um, hmm, I guess I'll just stand here and just see what happens. And, you know, I think we've all, had, you know, a good chunk of us have experienced this. One of the most awkward things in life is a middle school dance. <laughs> you have guys on one side, girls on the other, and they're just kind of over there, maybe chatting with their friends, and everybody's just kind of wondering, well, I'm not really sure what to do. I don't really know. And every once in a while, somebody will cross this chasm and like there, there'll be this girl walking over there and she's, she's probably coming on behalf of one of her friends and be like, okay, hey, so Cindy wants to know what do you think about her? And then, and then she'll go back over there and then you'll see a couple of girls like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then, and then I was usually the friend because I knew I didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't really have a shot. So it's like, well, at least I'll, I'll go on behalf of you. You know, okay, hey, hey, so Tommy wants to know if, not that he's going to, but we don't know, but if he asked you to dance, what would you say? Do you think he's cute? Uh, I mean, well, what about me? I mean, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Right? It's, it's just this thing, and, it, and, if, and it's just this really awkward thing. And if, um, and if you asked middle school Ricky, hey, why did you come here? I'd have been, well, I don't know. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't, did you come here to dance? Ooh, I don't know about that. That seems pretty intimidating. Well, did you, did you come here to hang out? I, you know, I, I just maybe came to just see what would happen. I, I'm not really sure. Um, but as I matured and got into high school, and then we, we, you know, then there was high school dances. By then, I, I would, you know, if you would ask high school Ricky, hey, why did you come to this dance? I'd have been like, I came to have fun. Yep. And, and so my mindset changed, and I was, I'm not. Actually, it's not, I was. Uh, it's not that I just wasn't a good dancer. I'm still not a good dancer. Um, and so it was since, hey, I'm, since I'm here to have fun, um, hey, if it's, you know, a little two-step, that's okay. But if it's basically other music besides country, um, it would just be like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's just, yay, yay, this gets boring. And so to have fun, um, I would just do all kinds of random stuff. And um, actually, before the movie Hitch, I, I just want to say I invented the pizza dance because my parents owned a pizza store, you know. Yeah, you know. And, and now, for, for me, it was like, oh, hey, do I look silly? Yeah, but I didn't care because I knew why I was there. I came to have fun. Now, some of the girls didn't want to dance with me when that was going on because they came, why they came was different. They came to look cool. And that wasn't going to mesh with, with Ricky. You know, it's like, I can look cool or I can hang out with Ricky, but I can't have both. Um, and, um, you know, and so, so that pretty much everybody acted at the dance a certain way, and it was all dictated by that question, why did you come? Why did you come to the dance? And think about all areas of your life. Why did you come here? What are you doing here? If you're going to go meet somebody, maybe somebody you're dating, you're meeting their parents, or you're at a job interview, why'd you, why'd you come to that? 
you came to look good. You came to impress. You came to answer the questions correctly. And because of that, you're, you're, really, you're really mindful of what you're saying. You're really mindful of all your mannerisms. Why did you come on and, and get, on, get that job? If you came to that job to just make a difference, then that's going to help dictate what you did. If you came to, you know, make some money and, and maybe work your way up the ladder, that'll change how you act. Think about why you go to Target. If you're going to Target because you're like, man, we need some toilet paper, you go in, you get the toilet paper, you come out. But if you go to Target and you have no direction, you're getting everything but what you need. And you're just like coming out with all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, my wife would be like, what'd you get? This. It's so fun. And so that, that question, why did you come? That's a very important question because so much of what you do is determined by how you answer that question. And today we're going to look at, at three people, three groups of people and how they answer that question. We're going to look at it from the magi or the wise men. I like saying it magi because I think that just sounds really cool. And there's an old movie called The Mummy and that's how they said it. But the magi, uh, the magi, and then there's uh, Herod and the religious leaders. And then a third place that we're going to look at it that's actually going to help us press into how we're really gonna answer that question. So why did you come? Why are you here uh, in life? And so if you got a Bible, open up to Matthew 2. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, is the order there. So in verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. Now, I want to help us get a picture of, um, or actually kind of maybe help correct our usual picture of, of this whole scene, uh, because um, a lot of kind of the traditional things that we think about this maybe really aren't actually all that accurate. And so in this, we always think, hey, there's three wise men. How many wise men are there? There's three. Why? Because later on in, um, in verse 11... There's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we think, hey, there's three gifts, there's three wise men. But actually, the text doesn't tell us how many wise men there are. Most likely, this is actually a group of people of about 20 or more, maybe up to even 100 people that have come from the east. Um, I mean, if you just imagine in, in Jerusalem, just three guys kind of riding in on some camels, that's really not going to make a big commotion. That's not going to draw the attention of King Herod and, and all of these people, you know, so it's, it's, it's really most likely this, this bigger group of people. You'd, need, you'd want a big group of people um, to travel with for safety. And, um, and also, we, uh, so that's just kind of a correction. It's not exactly three wise men. It's probably, again, we don't know, but it's a group of people. Also, we associate this, uh, this whole scene with the wise men, the magi, with the nativity scene. Now, quick question before we address that. In the state of Iowa, do you know why there, there are no nativity scenes? Because they couldn't find three wise men. Yeah. Now I know you're like, Ricky, you always pick on Iowa. Yep, uh, it's low hanging, you know. <laughs> I mean, it is low hanging fruit, but also, I mean, 
I, if you don't know, I'm from New Mexico, and New Mexico is a state that's known for, for meth UFOs and the only U.S. soil to drop nuclear bombs on. So it's like, you're like, well, it's not that good. Um, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, when we think of this scene, we think of the nativity scene. But again, go with the text. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so this is, this is not... Um, they're, they're not there at the, the nativity scene with the shepherds and with the angels and all that. This is afterwards. Uh, later on in this chapter, uh, we, you know, because we see that Herod is, is really not, he's not interested in worshiping Jesus at all. Um, he, he's out to, to get Jesus and, and to get rid of him. Um, he puts to death all of the, the babies, all of the baby boys in Bethlehem that are under the age of two because he asks when, when the wise men saw the star. And so most likely Jesus is, is around at least a few months old, uh, if not maybe a year, year and a half old. Um, and so these wise men are coming. And so who are these wise men? It says that they came from the east. We don't exactly know where that is, but it's east of, of Israel. Um, most likely uh, that would have been in, in Babylon. Uh, which would, you know, or, or um, Persia. So that would have been like modern day Iran, Iraq. Um, but again, we don't know exactly, um, but they, they came from the east. Um, they're referred to as magi. And so they're, they're astrologers. They're looking at the, at the stars. They, they would have most likely been high-ranking officials, kind of counselors to... to um, to kings and, and to people in high authority. And so, um, and also these are people that are of pretty good status. Uh, I mean, one to say, hey, we're gonna go on this trip that's gonna probably take us a couple of months, uh, one direction and a couple of months back. You have to have some resources. You have to have some means. And then when you look at the gifts that they gave Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I mean, these are not uh, kind of peasant type gifts. I mean, these, these are gifts that would have cost them some stuff. And so, um, so these are people that are high-ranking officials of some sort. And so, but again, we're going to see how these people answer the question, why have you come? And they say it in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. And so that's how they answer the question. We have come to worship him. We've come to worship Jesus. We come to worship the king of the Jews. They know why that they are there. I mean, they've sacrificed their lives. Traveling a couple of months, spending all of this time uh, just to get there. Why? Man, because we've come to worship. We saw his star, the king of the Jews, and we've come to worship him. And then they're, they're um, you know, so, we, so this reference to this star um, has background in the story of Balak and Balaam in Numbers 22. Balak, he's king of Moab. It's a neighboring country uh, to Israel. And he's scared that the Israelites coming out from, from Mount Sinai will conquer his land. And so he enlists a, kind of a seer or a, or a magi named Balaam to curse them. And, uh, and, you know, because he's like, hey, I don't want them to conquer me. Hey, you're kind of this, this wise man guy. Hey, why don't you curse them and then we'll be okay. And so um, 
Balaam, he actually doesn't end up cursing him because God just supernaturally intervenes and, and he actually ends up blessing them. But um, his final oracle, Balaam's final oracle, says that a, that a star will come from, from Jacob, from Israel, from that tribe. Uh, and, a, and a scepter will arise from Israel. And so, so in numbers, thousands of years before the birth of Christ, we have a man from the east prophesying a star and a king among the Jews. And in Matthew, we have men from the east following a star to the king of the Jews. And now notice that even though they are studying this star, it only takes them so far. And so they get into, they saw his star, they come into Jerusalem and they have to go ask, hey, well, well where is he? Where is he? And so actually, even though they're following this star and God is, is, is working in this way, uh, supernaturally, that they still need the word of God. The, the, the scribes go to, um, that they still go to the word of God to tell them where, where they need to go. And so because of that, so they say uh, in verse six, uh, that, that, or in verse five, in Bethlehem, that's, that's where the Messiah, the Christ would be born. And so after they hear that, that word from, uh, from the word of God, the wise men, they start heading to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem's only about five, six miles um, from Jerusalem. It's a very small town. And, um, and so they, they go to Bethlehem and they stop. It says that they stop over that, or the, that, sorry, they head towards Bethlehem and it says that the star stops over the house where Jesus is. And again, so this is not the, the manger scene. They've, they've somewhat settled there in Bethlehem. And when they arrive, says that they worship Jesus, they worship him. Now, let's just kind of admit, if you're coming into Bethlehem, it, this star is really cool, it's moving. We're not exactly sure what's going on with that, but it's really cool. And you come to where it says, to where the child was. So if Jesus is six months to a year and a half, I mean, if you're kind of at the nativity scene, a baby, and when we think of a baby, and maybe you've gone to the hospital, babies are... Are, are, there's just, just this awesomeness to them because they're, they're just, they're a baby. But can you just imagine coming into this and here's this kid crawling around on the floor with a diaper and you're just like, yeah, it's worship. I mean, that, that, there's a little bit of, of, of awkwardness to that. Um, you, I mean, Jesus could have, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, he was probably a, a toddler in this, but again, it, They've come to worship. And so uh, look at verse 10, just of how this, this worship comes out of them. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So it says that they, um, they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, they're, they're overjoyed beyond measure. They're so excited to meet the King of the Jews, so excited to meet the Messiah. To be, to be with him because God brought them from far away to see who this is. And, and I mean, we, we can just easily forget. We could easily, like Jesus and everything can just become so mundane for us sometimes. That when we think, man, when we go to pray, when we go to worship, man, who are we worshiping? 
Who are we praying to? This isn't just some, some person that we read about in a book. This isn't just some ideology. God, 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 when Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for our sin and rose again and then brings us into to himself, saving us from our sin, he doesn't just say, oh, hey, you're forgiven of your sin and now don't feel too bad about yourself. When J- Jesus saves us, he reconciles us to himself. He brings us to himself. I mean, have you thought about that? That, that man, when you trust in Christ, you get God. I mean, is that, or, is, or is that sometimes just kind of mundane for you? And so because they, they're there in the presence of Jesus, they rejoice exceedingly with joy beyond measure. So they're, they're, they worship him with this joy. And then second, we see how they, they worship, because again, that's why they've come. We see that the wise men give. Um, I mean, when you give gifts, that's rec- kind of in that culture would have been recognizing um, Jesus as superior to them. And this is just really cool. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of the age? And if you think here in Matthew 2, the, again, these guys are, are advisors. They're high-ranking officials. And you would say here in Matthew 2, where is the wise? Man, they're bowing down to Jesus. They're worshiping him. It says that they, um, in verse, uh, verse 11, they fall to their knees, they worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented gifts to him. Man, I mean, they, they, they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, that, man, they're, they're, they're giving to Christ as, as an act of worship. I mean, this is, not just like pulling out a stick of gum out of your pocket or anything. I mean, they, they've, they've come to worship him, to give of, of their time. They're giving of their resources. They're, they're giving of their emotions, of their joy to him because they want to. Their hearts are moved to worship him. And their, their response to Christ is this. And the, the text doesn't exactly tell us what the significance of, of these gifts are, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, but it probably would have stirred up some, some thoughts uh, for Joseph and, and for Mary uh, and for Matthew's audience. He's writing to a Jewish audience. And so uh, the first gift they give him is, is gold. I mean, that's like, that'd be a good Christmas present. That kind of is better than the Target gift card. Um, but when they give him gold, and th- this would have been, uh, th- this is, scene is kind of very similar to when uh, the Queen of Sheba um, from Egypt came and gave gifts to King Solomon. Um, and so the gold is pointing us to, to Jesus's royalty, that he is king. That's a big emphasis for Matthew is wanting to show us that, that he is king. The frankincense emphasizes his deity, that Jesus is fully God. Frankincense was used in, in the Old Testament, even at this time, for various offerings to God. Um, and, and it was stored in the sanctuary and it was related to worship and service uh, for God. Myrrh, so, so it would have been emphasized, the gold would have emphasized his royalty, the, the frankincense would have emphasized his deity, and the myrrh would have emphasized his, his humanity and his death. Later, Jesus would pay the price for sin, and we see myrrh at his death and his burial. When he's up on the cross, Jesus is offered myrrh um, on, on a sponge on, this, on the... Um, 
on the spear in Mark 15 that it's, it's wine mixed with myrrh. And then John 19 tells us to prepare Jesus' body, they, they used myrrh. And so Jesus was presented myrrh as a king in a cradle here in Matthew 2, and then he's presented myrrh as a king on a cross later in, in, uh, at his crucifixion. And so we see this, this, this question, why did you come? We see this answered very powerfully by the Magi. We have come to worship. We have come with joy, with gladness, Oh, beyond measure, we have come to see the king. We've come to see him. And so we, we see that, how they answer that question. Then next we're gonna see how Herod and the scribes answer that question. So uh, verse one, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. And so just to give you an idea, King Herod, um, he, he considered himself actually to be kind of king of the Jews um, he was appointed by Roman rule to oversee a, a portion of, of Israel. But, but Herod is this very bloodthirsty tyrant. He, he, was, um, he was actually really terrible. He ruled with aggression, intimidation, and he was, he was pretty paranoid. He, he didn't trust um, his family, he didn't trust um, actually, a lot of it, he actually had his own wife, some of his kids put to death because he was paranoid about them. Um, and he executed other religious leaders. And uh, so he's just very concerned with his, his own power, with his own position, with everybody's opinion of him. And so when Herod meets these, these magi from the east and then they say, hey, we're here to worship. We saw a star for the king of the Jews, and we're here to worship him. Herod is not like, that sounds like a great idea. He's like, wait a minute. I'm king of the Jews. That's me. And, and there in verse um, three, when it says, when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. I mean, that, that's kind of even saying like, he's, he's terrified. He's deeply troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And it's not necessarily saying all the whole town of Jerusalem, but all of those people that are in power. All of those people that, have, that, that are kind of with Herod and his group that would feel threatened. They, they, they don't want anything to threaten um, his rule and his position because they're the ones that are in charge. They like the system the way it is. They have the power. They have the say. And he doesn't want anybody to come in and jeopardize that. And so um, in verse seven, he, f he finds out when they, when they saw the star, when the, the Magi uh, see the star, um, and um, w later on the, the Magi, they actually get told, hey, don't go back to tell Herod uh, where you found the kid um, because he, he's so paranoid. He has even everybody, all, all the boys that are under the age of two killed. And so we see Herod answering this question, why have you come? Hey, the Magi here are here to say, hey, we've come to worship, why have you come? And Herod's answer to us would be like, hey, I've come to be about myself. I've come to be in charge. I've come for, for my life, my rules, to do, it, to do whatever it takes to keep it that way so that I could stay in power. And so the Magi, they see a king to be worshiped, but Herod sees a problem to be fixed. You know, is that, is that ever your answer? 
when it comes to just why have you come? Why, why have you come to just why are you here in life? What, what is your attitude and your response to who Jesus is? Sure, Jesus, you know, you're real. Sure, you're, you're king, but I'm really the authority in my life. I've come to make the decisions. I have the say around here. And if I need you, I'll, I'll go ask you. Hey, if I need some counsel, Jesus, I'll, I'll see what you maybe have to say. But I'll decide kind of what's good and bad and right and wrong. Do you ever have that attitude with Christ? That really you're the one that's in charge. And whenever Jesus and his way of following him comes up against you, you kind of have that similar response as Herod. It's like, man, there's this, this you're troubled because you just don't really want that authority in your life. And there's a second group that's kind of like with Herod. That's kind of similar in how they answer this question. Verse four, so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes um, of the people. And so there, there, there are these religious leaders, this religious elite, and they asked them, hey, where is the Messiah to be born? Because Herod knows who, who these magi are talking about. Hey, these magi are here to see the one that's been promised to us, been talked about in the Old Testament. So he asked them, where is he to be born? And the, the, the chief priests, they know it right off the bat. They don't even have to look it up or anything. They're like, oh, boom, Bethlehem. And then they, they quote uh, Micah 5.2, the Messiah who had come from this tiny little village of, of Bethlehem. And it's only, again, um, it's only five or six miles away. And so like if, if you're these religious leaders and Herod is a- asking you this question, hey, where's the Messiah to be born? You kind of know, hey, it's not because he's super interested in worshiping him, right? Nothing in his life would tell you that that's what he's about. And so it, there would be at least that probably this thought of like, hey, why is Herod answering us or asking us this question? Hey, Maybe something's up. Maybe, maybe there's a chance that somebody thinks that the Messiah has been born. And so when, when they answer right away, hey, Bethlehem, just down the road, five, six miles away. I mean, that, that's, that's just like walking to South Point and back. And then here's their response to the, to the possibility that the Messiah has been born, that Herod's asking about the Messiah here, notice their response. You don't even see it, right? They don't do anything. Totally apathetic. They don't even want to go. Don't even want to go check it out. See if there's a small chance that the Messiah is there. I mean, think about that. I mean, that is just a crazy amount of apathy from these religious leaders. I mean, basically, they're the ones that are studying the Scripture, searching the Scripture, because of the Messiah, because of the one that would come. And even if there's just some whispers around that and you're, you're saying a town, you're not even gonna go check it out. I mean, think of how many things in our life that are really small that we at least have enough curiosity to check it out. I mean, you're clicking, you know, you've gone through all of the shows on Netflix and you're just sitting there and you're just like, what should I watch? And they just have a picture of something and you're like, well, I don't know, that looks kind of interesting. And you'll, you'll start watching it. And then you get about five episodes in and you think, that was lame. 
I've just wasted my time. Well, but now I got to finish it, you know. I'll waste some more nights watching it. We, we, we at least have curiosity to, to check things out, but they are totally indifferent. They don't care. Maybe, maybe it's because they haven't made. Hey, we're doing pretty good with our, our little religious system. Life is good. We have, we have power. We have status. We have money. They don't want to mess that up. Seems like they're not even really looking for a savior. And we could fall, fall into that trap too. Because here's the thing, you won't be looking for a savior if you don't think you need one. Right, the Magi recognize that they, they have some sort of need. These guys, that it should be totally obvious, they're not even willing to go look for them because they don't think that they need a savior. They don't think that they need that at all. And I mean, we could get into that trap too to just think like, hey, do I really need to go pursue Jesus? I'm doing pretty good. Life's not too messy. I'm not that really bad of a person. I'm pretty good. I mean, we'll never actually go looking for him if we don't see our desperate need for Christ. And again, notice, I mean, these, these religious leaders, they have their Bibles. They, they know the scripture. They have this knowledge. They grew up in church. But not just knowing about things, not know, just knowing the scripture isn't enough. And I, I mean, man, I hear people say stuff like that. Like, hey, I grew up Catholic, or I grew up Lutheran, or I grew up maybe at City Light, or, or, or whatever that might be. But man, I really didn't know God. You can know all the facts about Jesus, but not know Jesus. These guys aren't even curious. And so do you ever just have this apathy towards Christ? Kind of just being indifferent. Hey, if I, Jesus is kind of a convenience. Well, I'll check them out when I have time. Man, why have you come? Why are you here? Not, not, I'm not saying at a church building, but I'm saying your life. Is it to keep things just comfortable? Keep things the way that they are? Or is it to see the living God and know him? Why have you come? And we see this third answer for that question. Notice what Matthew is showing us in this chapter. Because, yeah, we see the answer from, from the Magi. We see the answer from um, Herod and, the, and the, the religious elite. But there's another person that's answering this question for us in this text today. Jesus answers this question. Why have you come? Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God. I mean, we, we've already seen that in the star, something that was pre predicted and promised thousands of years ago in Numbers 22. Jesus is fulfilling that. And Matthew's been harping on that, even chapter one here, and he continues to do that, Jesus, to fulfill this, to fulfill that, what was spoken by the prophet, what was spoken by the prophet. Jesus is fulfilling all this. Where would the Messiah be born? Right, we, we, we see that, man, Jesus, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I mean, and, and think, we think Bethlehem's a big deal, but really, I mean, it's like Firth, Maybe. You know, I mean, can you be like, hey, where's the Messiah, the Savior of the world? 
birth. You're like, really? Right? It's, it's, it's not that big a deal. And, and so the chief priests, they quote from, from Micah 2, from, from Micah 5 2. But Matthew here, he actually makes a few changes from that quotation in Matthew. And so Ma- Matthew mentions Judah, and this is to emphasize uh, that Jesus is in the line of David in this kingly lineage that the Messiah would come from, the line of Judah. Judah. And so Jesus fulfills that promise. And so even when I say, because like we could read this and be like, oh, these are prophecies. Just kind of like one quick thing. And yeah, there are prophecies that, that are predicting something that will happen in the future. But, but when I say the word promise, I want us to think of it in, in a bigger holistic sense than just predictions of the future. Because a prophecy is saying something will happen in the future. But a promise is something that is made to people. And so the Old Testament, all of these scriptures, it is God promising his people Israel, promising us who he is and what he's going to do with us and for us, right? Not just, hey, this stuff will happen in the future, but it's like, hey, this is what I'm doing with you. I mean, ever since the, I mean, early on in the chapter, we see, man, sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, and then God makes a promise, hey, I'm gonna deal with sin one day. And we just see it over and over and over again all throughout scripture. And Jesus is saying, hey, I have come to fulfill the promise of God. I've come to fulfill all of these things. And then he tells us, um, Jesus says, I've, I, not only am I gonna fulfill the promise, but I'm gonna, I'm, I've come to rule. And he says what kind of rule that he will have. Verse six, um, the, you, O oh, you, O oh Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler, what kind of ruler? Who will shepherd my people. And so um, here Matthew is pointing us to, to Samuel 5, 2. And, and to David and his line, David was a shepherd of Israel, but an imperfect one. But the Messiah, he would be a good and perfect shepherd. And so just kind of in this chapter and throughout the rest of the book, we see this contrast between a ruler that Herod is, but also the ruler that Jesus will be. Herod was placed as king of the Jews by Roman authority. Jesus is the real king of, of the Jews placed by God's authority. Jerry, or Herod is, is all about himself. I've come to serve me. Jesus says in Matthew 20, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Herod will put others to death if he thinks that they're a threat or stepping out of line, Jesus came to die. Jesus says in, Matthew, or in John 10, he says, Jesus is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for his sheep so that we might have life in him. The angel, I mean, why did Jesus come? The angel uh, talking to Joseph in Matthew one twenty one, it says that he will save the people from their sins. Something that we, we also see in this is that Jesus came to draw all people to himself. Jesus is the king of the Jews, the people of Israel. And who are the first people that we see worshiping Jesus? Not Jews. Gentiles, these foreigners, these, these, these 
magi, these astrologers. I mean, that's what even one of the things you'd be like, hey, did this really happen? If you're in the early church and you're these Jew, and Matthew's writing to Jewish people, are you just going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, magi, right? I mean, this is because this is really happening. This, this is not like the, maybe the first people that you want to see interacting with Jesus are these foreign pagans. But Jesus is fulfilling the promise of that God would be drawing all people to himself. Genesis 12, God tells Abram, and through you, there, you will be a blessing to all the nations. Isaiah 60, it says that darkness has covered the earth, but the Lord will shine on you and the nations will come to his light. John 442, it says that Jesus is the savior of the world. And so even when it says that Jesus is king of the Jews, Matthew is making this very clear. Jesus is not just the savior of the Jews. Jesus is not just the savior of kind of the, the people that are in church. Jesus is, is not just a Jewish savior, an American savior. Jesus is the savior of the world, of all people. I mean, and think, think of God's intentionality here. Does anybody else seem to notice the star? Right? I mean, no. It seems like it's just these guys that know what's going on. Now, I don't know, hey, was there a natural star, you know, a comet or something back then? I don't know. But if, I, if I'm just kind of reading it, nobody else seems to know it. And in verse 9, it says, the star led them until it came and stopped. Now, again, I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds like something supernatural is going on. I've never had something where I'm like, yeah, I'm following a star that's moving, and then it stopped. But notice God's intentionality here. Whatever it is that God is speaking to these foreigners to draw them to himself. Intentionally reaching them so that they might know the Christ. And so God sends his son, sends Christ, and he sends them this invitation to come and see the king. God is drawing all of these, all different kinds of people. I mean, here we have these foreign pagans that are kind of of high status, have some means, but they didn't really grow up, up, up in church or anything like that in Luke God, 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 uh, God sends angels to speak to shepherds, lowly shepherds, kind of low-status people, drawing them to himself. And so God invites the high, he invites the low, he invites people that are messy to himself, Those that, he, God invites people that are making good choices in life, and he invites people that are making really bad choices in life. God is, God is pursuing people that grew up in church, people that didn't grow up in church, all different kinds of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He's the savior of, of all people. And, and I don't know exactly what's going on in your life or if you think that God is really interested in you, but if God is intentionally drawing these people from who knows how far away to himself, man, I think that God has the intentionality and, and the heart to draw you to himself today. And he's saying, hey, I care about you. I know you. I'm pursuing you. And G Jesus answers that question, why have you come? Man, I, I've, 
I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to seek and to save the lost. I have come that you might have life in my name. I've come to call not the righteous, but the unrighteous. And Jesus said, basically here, Jesus is saying, hey, I've come for you. I mean, isn't that what Christmas just screams to us? God showed up. God, the creator of the universe, the one who just spoke and breathed stars into existence, says, I have come for you. I've come to you. Don't ever think that I've turned a blind eye. Don't ever think that I don't see you. I have come to you to die in your place, to pay the price for your sins so that you might have life in Christ. I mean, these wise men, they were far off. They were brought near by a star, but you and I, we were far off, separated from God, and we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The only difference between the Pharisees and the Magi in this story, I mean, they were both, they were both invited to come to Jesus. The, the only difference between them, between the Magi and the Pharisees, is that the Pharisees stayed in Jerusalem, but the Magi went and saw their Savior. And the invitation that goes out to them is the same invitation that goes out to you. Come and see the King. Come and see your Savior. Come and know me. Not because you have it all figured out, not because you're perfect, it's actually because I know that you're broken, I know that you're messy, I know that you're dead in your sin. Come and see me so that you might have life in me. And so that question just, why have you come? Have you come to be like Herod, to be about yourself or to be indifferent towards Christ? Or have you come to worship Jesus, to know him, to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. So we see that the light has come into the darkness. He's come for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, we thank you, God, that you did send your one and only son to us to, to save us so that we might might know you, that we might be rescued out of and redeemed just out of our, our sin and death. And Lord, so that we um, can know the greatest love that we could ever not even comprehend. It's so big. Lord, I pray that you'd move in, in our minds and our hearts in such a way, Lord, that you would help us um, I know that we would just be humble, Lord, to one, see our need for you and to just come to you so we might worship you. We might know you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.